But just before we get started, I would like to say a big thank you to Naylor Agility for sponsoring this podcast. They are a UK equipment provider for agility equipment. They specifically produce tunnels, tunnel bags, agility jumps and stacking blocks as well as wobble boards. So Naylor Agility have been a huge support in me starting this podcast and they provide fantastic high quality equipment. I cannot recommend them enough. So thank you Naylor again for supporting the Agility Rose Talk and Train podcast and without further ado let's get into the episode. Hi Joe. thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Hey. Um, um, it's really good to have you here and I'm very excited for this topic because I think it'll be a really helpful one as well for a lot of people that listen. Um, so just to get started, could you give us a bit of an introduction about yourself, your dogs, how long you've been in agility for and what is your what has been your favourite achievement to date? Um, I've been in agility for a long time, which makes me feel quite old. I've been in agility <laughs> for 20 years, I think it is um uh yeah so quite a long time um I now have all border collies all you know classic black and white border collies which is you know fairly boring but it's not (laughs) how it started I promise um I was originally horsey um and yeah and I lost my horse when we were competing which was a bit sad and we ended up with um a rehome staffy Labrador cross um, and I accidentally found agility for a hole that horses had left. And here we are um, a long time later. So, yeah, it's not always been border collies. Um, and then I had a bearded collie cross bred by Dawn oh, Weaver. Yeah. Um, my pink fluffy dog who did amazing for me. Um, and then the border collie started. So <laughs> now we're several border collies in. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I've got three, four so Tuesday, my oldest dog lives with my mum now. She hates travelling. So there's no need for her to sit in the van. And I'm, she's very happy and a little bit fat with my mum. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I've got Bright, who's um, just retired, actually, from agility. Um, and then we've got Fade, who's my competing dog at the moment. And then Vivid, or Vivian, to her friends, <laughs> who's uh, nearly nine months, I guess she is. Um, and that's my lot. Oh, exciting. And what would you say has been your favourite achievement so far in agility? Um, I think my favourite achievement was with Bitsy, to be honest. Mainly, um, it was winning pentathlon gold at WAO in, I, I can't mem- remember the year. Um, it was in Belgium. And it was really, that one sticks out for me because the previous year I had gone into the last run. Obviously, it's five runs. So I was leading after four and I lost it like I ruined the run and we didn't come anywhere and it was a it it hurt (laughs) a lot it really hurt um and then the following year we went into that run leading again and actually managed to win which it just felt like a rite of passage I guess so you know that was a big achievement for me she was such a good dog and so consistent for me and she deserved to win that gold medal so that's the one (laughs) I I like that one I like that it shows dedication makes a difference of obviously you know to come back next year and and um (sighs) overcome that that previous experience brilliant super so we'll get started so question one 
What are the most common jump styles you see in agility dogs and which one do you feel is the most efficient for the dog when completing the jump? Um, Jump styles really, I mean, every dog will look different, obviously, because different breeds um, have, um, you know, different shapes and different structures, which I'll, um, you know, I'll probably go into a little bit later. But really, jump style, what makes a good jump style for me, you know, is a dog that is balanced so taking off and landing with the jump in the middle so with the same distance from the jump and landing that distance that means they've read what's appropriate they've not got too close or taken off too far away um, and then really confidence to use their body so that they're using their rear end power and not just lifting themselves um, from the front really um, and that might not mean that they all look the same in the air but if a dog is um, using its body in the best way that it can um, and also you know jumping um, in an appropriate way and placing itself well really for me that's good jump style not all dogs have to look the same they can't they shouldn't I like that you've touched on that actually because as you said there's such various breeds we see in agility as well so obviously the structure of different dogs I assume will affect a lot of the um, the jump style we see as well um, and weight and size it's it's I like I like that point I think that's a really good way to look uh, <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know I'm guilty of this so I post pictures of my dogs in full extension you know with pointy toes and it looks really cool and all of that <laughs> but not every dog can make that shape because obviously uh, a flat coat retriever will never look that way and it doesn't mean that they're doing a bad job it, it doesn't it just means that physically their body can't do the same things that maybe a border collie can for example and it doesn't mean it's bad yeah oh brilliant that is such a lovely answer um i think i think it gives a lot of people because i know it's a, a big thing as you say everyone likes that full extension photo but actually as you say as a matter of fact it's it's different for every dog which is brilliant absolutely yeah fantastic so question two what are the benefits of jump grids and from what age would you begin introducing them into a dog's career? I'll try. Um, well, jump grids really, I mean, the jump is the thing that they do the most. So, you know, why not give them some education in it other than the handling that is down to us? Yeah. Um, for me, jump grids aren't, you know, people think about it, dogs that have poles must need jump grids or whatever. And it's not just that, you know, really for me, that is of part of it, of course it is, but um, really it's about taking appropriate strides on course, whether that, you know, whether they're reading that we're coming into collection or extension and how to adjust their takeoff point to accommodate that or the lead changes that might be needed, you know, all of those things. So, you know, a dog that never takes a pole but does lots of little strides on course is as bad as a dog that takes very few strides and has poles down because ultimately every time they take those extra strides, it costs them time and fastest dog wins. So it's that too for me. Um, and, you know, again, I came from a horsey background. So if you're a horse rider, you would choose your horse's takeoff spot by extending or collecting them and, and choosing that for them. Um, dogs really have to do that for themselves, you know, and read what's coming and what's coming up ahead and then deal with us running along beside them, being helpful or not, you know, <laughs> um, with our commands that are timely or not. <laughs> um, you know so there's that it's just, just a good opportunity really to give them as much information as they can so that when I'm having a bad day they can still jump you know they're not reliant on me being perfect all the time because I'm certainly not that um, you know 
apart from that, really, it for me, it's a great opportunity. I know I look at how my dogs jump regularly. And if you know what your dog should look like and what striding it should take, if that changes because you've got a problem or they're feeling sore or whatever, you can pick it up really quickly. Um, and that can be really helpful then. So you can take it to whoever you're working with or on their sort of physical care side as well. Fantastic. I think a good point as well, like say from a physical um, point of view, being able to spot the um, differences quite early on can mean the difference between a dog having maybe a couple of extra years in its career, I imagine, or having only a few more months, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Oh, brilliant. And I also like the fact that you, you mentioned, obviously, it's it's the, the most common obstacle the dog's going to see. And we, we put the probably the least education into it, it from some some perspectives, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just not it's not that it's just not that sexy, is it? Sometimes <laughs> jump grids, you know, it takes a long time to set up and um, <laughs> it's not it's just not that exciting. I get that it's not. But actually, it you know well I find it exciting because I'm sad and I like to watch my dogs jump in slow-mo but no, I, um, I like to know yeah oh fantastic um so question three if you're ready for us to move on um how do jump grids set on small and medium translate for a large and intermediate dog and which agility height would you say requires more jump technique training um in terms of setup really the when we're setting up grids uh well i'll always guess a distance for a dog so with each grid would be set up with a particular distance between the obstacles depending on what we're trying to achieve in the exercise and obviously with a smaller and medium dogs um they would have shorter distances yeah. usually obviously it depends like sometimes we have we know we have medium border collies and they might be jumping medium but actually they still have a stride length of quite a, a big dog by the same token we have breeds that are in large but actually have quite a short stride length so um you know the setups are really personal to a dog um does that make sense so they need to be adjusted to the physicality of that dog and that and that's the difference obviously between smaller mediums and intermediate and large there are general like you know distance differences if that makes sense um in terms of which need them more like i said at the start really they kind of often need different things like I find most often that smaller mediums maybe need to build up their confidence and take less strides and that's a generalization because of course they're not all like that of course they're not um, and then with larger dogs or mainly border collies actually really a lot of them need to learn to forward plan so they don't you know get into it and get too close to the jump and then try and do everything they can to get over it and hyper extend their back ends and yeah. stuff so the forward planning type things seems to be a common theme for them but like I said I mean it is so dog dependent you know it can also depend on their their natural drive or personality and all of those sorts of things fantastic I really like that they're very very different in terms of the individual dogs and quite a big lap well I've got two mediums and one is very short striding and one's much larger distances because physically they're very different setups um in terms of structure um so I should say that it's all down to the individual isn't it which is brilliant yeah. it's um, like training anything isn't it like they're all different and they they all have their strengths and weaknesses and it's exactly the same in jump training Fantastic. So question four, I thought this was a really interesting one, actually. Um, so this was, all these questions were asked on Instagram for anyone listening, but um, this one was, how does back length affect a dog's jump technique? 
wanted to specify in cockers particularly so sometimes we see various um lengths of dogs um we're seeing some you know cocker spaniels maybe with a longer longer length in the back and um, some with maybe shorter lengths does that have an effect on no jump technique in your opinion um like i said at the start like structure has a huge impact on what jump techniques they can offer you i mean for, you know christine zinc for example has written loads about this like and it's gone into you know is extremely knowledgeable um you know each part of the dog can make a massive difference so was obviously the front end is really important for a dog so angulation and all of that stuff like, like the front end actually will always have slightly more weight on the front end because that's just how they're they um they stand themselves that also has effect on turning and range of stride and stuff the front end and also all the impact happens on the front so it's important to have um an is a uh, strong front end um and then obviously like we said back end creates propulsion yeah um, for me length of back you don't particularly want anything to be out of proportion yeah really because if they're particularly long in relation to the length of their leg um you know their front end then has to bear even more weight because they've got mm. to create they've got to lift more body up in relation and also then the rear end has to create that little bit more horizontal force if they're a longer dog yeah. so you want them to be in proportion don't you really yeah um because then you know if you do have a dog with a slightly longer back or you have a dog that has that for me i just think really you need to be mindful of that and there needs to be conditioning to support the extra efforts they need to make and you know and like you know no dog is structurally perfect of course <laughs> um so we all have things that we're working to improve you know so i do with my own dogs you know i've worked quite hard with fade to improve the strength behind because she's quite mobile oh hyper mobile even behind so i have to be quite mindful of that and so i do conditioning exercises to support that so perhaps that's something as a consideration um, with the longer back dogs. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I'm a, a veterinary physio or anything like that. <laughs> and there's people with much, much more knowledge than me. But for me, when I'm watching dogs, it, it's that like, you know, you want them to be in proportion because obviously that gives them the better opportunity to give an easier jump. Yeah. Fantastic. I really like that as well. Um, as you say, it's it's that conditioning element. If you're supporting the dog physically, um, yeah. you much more um, benefit of the doubt when it comes to actually coming into the jumps and things like that. Brilliant. Um, so question five, what is early takeoff? Or sometimes I hear it is early takeoff syndrome. Um, and what do you think causes it? Is, so this person asks, is it a vision or bad jump foundations and could it be improved? this is a huge subject and there's been <laughs> loads written about it as well um i think linda mecklenburg wrote a really good article about it a couple quite a while ago i think in clean run mm -hmm. um it's for me what is early takeoff like it's not lots of people say oh about that their dogs take off early and they worry about it because it there it is it is a thing um but actually is that dog just jumping an extension inappropriately like is it jumping long everywhere because that could be a jumping education thing yeah you know um or and then you see dogs stutter stepping my first port of call there would be is it stutter stepping because it's in pain like is there a physical issue there um you know so all the head bobbing or whatever it is, or just literally simply missing a stride in front of a jump. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
if it is it either of those because if it's a lack of knowledge or whatever or if it's a physical thing then that's not early takeoff syndrome there's a thing but there are dogs that have that you know and um there there's a few of those that have it and we you know it's it's it must be so frustrating as a hand i've i've not had it so far touched wood um <laughs> but if you do, I mean, as far as I know, I don't think anyone actually has a definite answer for why that happens. Yeah. Because lots of dog that, dogs that have early takeoff syndrome ha- st- perhaps started off well and jumped well mm. from the start. Um, and they've had good jump training and they have had eye tests and physical tests and there's nothing wrong. Um, that said, you know, there are, I don't think, and I'm, I'm happy to be corrected because like, I'm not an oracle on um, veterinary science at all, but I don't think there's an eye test for depth perception yet. So, you know, I'm not sure there's an eye test that can actually test for the problem that that dog may have. So yeah. um, there's that. And also some people claim that it's hereditary because you can get several dogs within a line that get a similar problem so there's also that as a thought but for me if you've got early takeoff syndrome no one really knows why it happens which is a little bit sad Mm -hmm. um and it's not in my humble opinion I don't I don't think it's completely fixable if it's truly that um because we don't you know we don't know why it's happening and if it is an eye thing then what can we do about that um if I have dogs that come to me and I've seen one or two, for me, I always think how stressful that must be for yeah. that dog because they don't, they're desperately trying to get it right and they're not sure where to take off. And if it is an eye thing, they don't know where to take off perhaps. So, um, it, the, you know, they're trying desperately not to hit that jump. And if that does happen, it must really knock their confidence. So I'm imagining that if you have a dog like that, really, you're just trying to set them up to be to do exercises where they feel as confident as possible so they don't feel that stress um yeah I mean I wish I I wish there was an answer for it but I don't think there is one is the truth like I say it's a very difficult topic such an individual thing isn't it Um, yeah absolutely and it can be really emotive for people that have dogs that that struggle with that because it must just be so heartbreaking for the handler and it started off okay and it's deteriorated or whatever and no one likes to see their dogs panic about jumping it it must be hard it it must be hard for them oh yeah I mean I had a my personal first dog um she was somewhat similar she she'd negotiate jumps fairly well but she'd always put that extra stride in just before um but you could see you could see there was some sort of negotiation there of oh does she know quite how to do it but um I always kind of think back to it I think well if I was if I was trying to jump hurdles doing the hurdle race and having not have my glasses on or anything I'd probably be useless (laughs) for the jump so um it's it's amazing when you think what what our dogs actually do um try and get themselves over Um, they do lots of horrors don't they they Um, do (laughs) super so um question six yes question six i was checking i was on the right one um six do you have any advice for a dog that struggles to jump in extension and drops their back legs whilst completing the jump and this person also asks as well would you correct this in competition or would you um and training or would you kind of do something different with it so i think the example they gave us was it maybe a line of three jumps um is where the, the struggle comes from so 
Okay, yeah. So for me, from the description they gave, like that's a dog. If it's just a line of straight jumps, they're not reading the distance that's coming up ahead, perhaps. I mean, it's hard without seeing it or knowing the dog or anything around it. But for me, is the dog able to forward plan what distance is coming, whether it's jumping an extension or collection and then placing correctly? Yeah. Um, that would be my first question. And then, you know, obviously, my whenever I'm working with anyone, my first question is, have you had your dog physically checked? Like, I'm sure most people have, I'm sure. And like everyone I work with always has done. But I always like to be sure that that's ruled out because then we can work on the training. But for me, you know, <clears throat> is it placing correctly for the jump or is it not forward planning or is it not sure where to take off? Because I just don't think that dogs mean to take bars down. I really don't. <laughs> I'm sure they don't really <laughs> want to. So um, I hope that answers that. It's quite difficult to answer um, yeah. without seeing the scenario, um, if, you, if you know what I mean. Yes. In regards to punishing poles, though, um, I don't really punish poles. I don't. I definitely don't in the ring. Um, I might stop my dog if I felt like they were going to hurt themselves because we were having a particularly bad day, but it, I would never stop particularly for a pole. Um, because for me, I can't guarantee in that moment that I was absolutely right, like that I didn't do anything, like there wasn't anything on me. And I don't in that moment know whether they, what they did wrong, what part of the jump did they get wrong? Was it, did they take off too far away? Did they not prepare? Were they looking at something else? Like. I don't know why it went wrong. So I tend to, I can't correct something. I don't, what behavior was wrong there. So yeah. I tend to um, ignore, particularly in the ring. Mm -hmm. um, if I know a dog, for example, if one of my dogs is, is doing an exercise that I know they know very well, and <laughs> perhaps they're just being a little bit silly, and you know I might stop then but it is rare like very rare that I would stop my dogs for having bars down and um, I know that that's not particularly a popular opinion but um, you know I try <laughs> not to because your timing has to be really good yes um, number one like you need to have corrected quickly before they've done anything else so that they're aware that it's to do with that obstacle straight away yeah. um, if you're absolutely sure that they've it's on them um so your timing is really important there it's too late if they've already done something else because they don't understand what you're stopping them for um and also for me you know you've got to be a bit careful because if you start punishing for every poll that they have and i don't mean punishing that anyone's gonna you know, do anything <laughs> terrible i just mean punishing by stopping the game um obviously <laughs> i'm sure but you'll then get a dog that starts to be maybe i worry that they'd start to get a bit too careful they put in extra strides just to be sure they don't hit the pole um, and then you've lost your 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 speed which you know we all need a balance of speed and um, uh, accuracy don't we so that's how I feel about it and I know like, like there are plenty of people that do it and they do it well um, but for me I, I tend to err on the side of caution because I can't guarantee that I've not been rubbish is the truth <laughs> and I don't know you know I don't know if I it was on me or on them so I tend to to leave it unless I'm absolutely sure and I certainly don't do it in the ring no I don't think I've ever done it in the ring 
I, I'm completely in agreement. I'm the same with my dogs, unless unless I could be absolutely sure. But as you say, human error, it's so easy for us to maybe mistake something in the moment. Um, I'm terrible for giving the wrong cue over the wrong jump randomly. I'll be thinking of too many things. But as you say, the dogs are thinking of, of a lot of things as well at the same time. Um, so, you know, they're looking at our what we're actually verbally giving them, um, the environment. So there's lots of kind of... Yeah could affect it isn't it really which isn't yeah I mean obviously if my dog has a pole down and there's you know several poles down in an exercise I'm not going to jackpot reward it and have a party (laughs) obviously but uh, you know I'm not unlikely to just I probably ask them to do a hand touch or something else and then reward that so that you know I don't tend to stop for poles no you know like you say it could be on me (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean most of the time it is my fault as well (laughs) and me (laughs) So question seven, what's the most challenging jump skill for a dog to complete? And do you have any advice on how to set a dog up for it successfully? Um, I think this varies on in level, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was um, listening to your podcast, actually, with Neil talking about course design. Yeah. Um, and really, for me, the most challenging skill, particularly when they bring out a young dog, is when the courses seem to be simple, but actually they've got lots of related distances in it so they go from a lot a massive distance to a short distance and I think that's really hard um you know and I love it if they were all nice even distances because I think that's much kinder um so for me I think that going from an extended lots of power into a collection is actually quite difficult yeah um so for me you know I try to educate my dogs into forward planning and reading what kind of one stride is needed um you know there's lots of exercises to do that so that I can help my dogs to be as safe as possible because I obviously we'd always like the courses to be you know reasonable and flowing (laughs) and reasonable to our dogs but unfortunately it doesn't always happen so the more information we can give them about forward planning so they don't have to get in it and then you know try to kill themselves hyperextending or you know all of that stuff or even just some dogs might be knocked down by having to suddenly collect some dogs can find that quite demotivating so if we're able to give them that information by how to read what kind of one stride they need is it to jump you know take off from miles away and land miles long or do they need a shorter jumping arc to be able to achieve what's coming ahead I like to teach that particularly for my um, dogs coming out because unfortunately they do meet that as much as we'd like them not to Um, (laughs) and then with the more complicated um, you know the sort of lead changes on slice lines so the 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 fast threadle lines they're quite hard they require lead changes you know at speed um, and uh, you can teach lead changes in grid work exercises obviously so that they know how to balance them themselves yeah absolutely you can yeah and what comes with that is teaching them bending work and flexibility and lead holding a lead leg and stuff like that so they can come into these things as balanced as possible because if they are and they know what's coming and how to use themselves then they're less likely to have knock a pole down or you know avoid or whatever it is that we don't want them to do basically fantastic um and I do like what you say again about the the distances between jumps because such a big issue isn't it um, and it's definitely a hot topic at the moment. Um, and I, I'm the same as you. I kind of try and teach my dogs to negotiate things that maybe um, I know for my young dogs, I, I set things up that are potentially what they would see in a competition 
um, just to give so I can educate and help them through it um, before getting to a show and kind of seeing something that isn't quite maybe the perfect distance and thinking, oh, God, what, what are they going to do now? What are they going to throw at me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. We can just help them as much as we can. Yeah. We'd love everything to be lovely for them, but unfortunately <laughs> it isn't always the case. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes, isn't it, unfortunately? <laughs> 100%, yeah. Now, question eight, I think this is a really interesting one as well. So can a dog's jump style be damaged by increasing the jump height too soon? And if so, how do you know when it's the right time to progress them? Um, you asked me about starting with young dogs at the start and I didn't answer it. So, apologies. <laughs> so I'll answer it here because actually it's related. Um, when for me, when I'm working with a young dog, I tend to begin their jump education with grid work exercises so there's not any handling involved in it at first and all of that stuff all they've got to do is I'm setting them up to place correctly and approach a jump in the correct way from the start so that there isn't any you know difficulties with me doing any handling or anything like that and it's teaching them how to place how to use their bodies uh, and all of those things and and set them up to be successful in that yeah um so I'll do you know set point exercises and learning to bend their bodies over a bar and all of those things um from the start and even starting to teach them different sorts of distances and things all with no height like you know just jump bumps and stuff but sets so that they are placing correctly in those exercises um and then when i've got my dogs doing those exercises up to sort of medium height mm-hmm. then i start to sequence um and I know that's not popular. And again, it's just totally unsexy. Like there's nothing fun about it. Um, but from the start, so when they start to sequence, they're already, they're placing. They're not just yeah. taking off from anywhere. They are looking to find um, somewhere to take off. And I haven't always done that, but it is something that I've done with Fade, my current competing mm-hmm. dog. And I will repeat it with Vivid um, because I didn't do that with Bright and she was rubbish at forward planning so she always just got in it was like oh dear I'm too close I was just running as fast as I can because that's what she (laughs) liked to do Um, so uh yeah so once I've got that I'm obviously teaching handling on like one or two jumps and all the simple stuff so when I'm then expecting my dogs to change height I return to my jump grids again Um, so that their exercises they already know and I'm able to just reintroduce the new height and I would do that first so that again it's nothing new to them they know how to do those exercises and I would again set them up to be successful in all the different types of exercises we get and there's a couple of them that would introduce competition height not all of them are obviously some of them are just bounces but some of them use competition height and I would go through those again because they're familiar and then I can um um introduce them to the new height in the situation that they're familiar with yeah. um and then move them up so i don't tend to do that much handling at any low height but once i start getting to um um a medium size height i tend to move up quite quickly yeah. that said i'm quite slow to bring my young dogs um to do anything agility wise so I tend to do grid work dependent on the dog and how big they are and all of their the physical stuff between 10 months and a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do stuff with them when they're a bit younger, but it's sort of limited really on how much and how you can do. Um, and then so that I'm able to move on. So I usually have 
you know, my sort of 18, 16 to 18 month old dog just below their competition height, um, ready to go in the ring when they're ready. And again, dog dependent. Yeah. So I hope that's answered your question. I tend not to just throw my dogs at a new height. They they do get drilled. I don't like that word. It's probably a little <laughs> bit hard, but, you know, they get introduced um, by you know regular exercises yeah and like you can introduce your dogs to things like the novel equipment so a wall a tire a spread all of those using jump grid exercises so they're not just suddenly appearing in a sequence it's just setting them up to be successful brilliant and I like that you mentioned that actually because I, I presume obviously with any t- different type of jumping equipment such as obviously the long jump the tire the, the wall they've got to negotiate it in maybe a, a different way than they would normally I imagine uh, it's educating in that sense as well isn't it yeah and the long jump's a little bit different so obviously it's a they're not creating any elevation over it so that's a different thing really um but again if you've got a dog that knows how to place well for a jump mm-hmm. it will be able to um you know change that over to a long jump but certainly with the wall and the tire and stuff you know I mean now we're lucky and we have displaceable wall like soft walls and um you know the, the breakaway tire but you know they are obstacles that can you know they used to be a little bit more dangerous I guess yeah. um so for me it's so important that they actually do know how to negotiate those safely really yes definitely and and uh two different pieces of equipment that co- probably caused a lot of injuries over the years for some dogs uh, education is super important on those definitely yeah I mean we don't have all soft walls or whatever because I mean I don't know how viable they are on days like today it's very windy here because yeah. it's you know I mean <laughs> but so occasionally we do still see you know metal walls and stuff so you know I think it's important that again like we talked about distances that they've got as best opportunity as they can to get over them safely fantastic that's such a great message as well um so last question question nine what tip do you wish people tried sooner when it comes to helping their dogs jump style um for me i wish more people most people ask like, oh my dog has poles down and i always ask i'm like do you record keep when that is and most of them don't so for me if I'm, I've got a problem, like if you record keep when your pole's coming down in terms of what were you doing at the time? Were you handling? Were you not? Was it a front cross? Was it a blind cross? What was happening? What was before it? What was after it? You know, like you'll find a pattern because once you know that, you know, you'll be able to um, narrow down what the issue is. So for me, that's the that's the tip, you know, like record keeping record keeping for any kind of dog training um it really it is it's boring again but you know it is gold because you will find the answer in there eventually you will so for me you know most people are like oh my dog takes a pond like what in what scenario you know do you know know why like what's it struggling with um and actually if they record keep when that happens you might just get a little bit more information about which jump skill it actually is that they're struggling with do they find it hard to collect are they not reading you know um turns or not preparing themselves on turns and stuff then that can help you focus your your training then fantastic i you know that's something that i never even thought of when it comes to when it comes to knocking poles um actually thinking to to record and, and try and find the pattern there because i think i guess we do it in other you know other scenarios with miscontacts or um with 
start lines people tend to be a little bit more on the ball of what's causing those but when it comes to pole knocking a lot of it seems to kind of be put on the dog so I think that's a really good um last final um tip there for them because I think it's something I'm going to be taking away as well for for myself in future if I've got any pole knockers or anything brilliant good I'm glad it was helpful <laughs> oh it's helping me I'm just thinking now ooh, what can I go back and look at well, it might, it might not actually be a jumping issue. It might yeah. actually be another training issue. I mean, yeah. it might tell you the jumping issue you have, but it also might, you know, make you realise that it actually isn't that. So um, record keeping would be my biggest tip. Fantastic. And it probably might even show me that it's, it's my handling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, sometimes it does come down to us. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Thank you for that. That was um, brilliant in terms of answers and everything so just to close the podcast off um where can listeners find out some more information because i do believe you have some online training on this topic and i do yeah yeah so i'm on um the social so um instagram and facebook at the canine sports coach um and any information that uh, my new courses will be going on to there and there'll be a new intake for the online course soon. I also have got a website, the caninesportscoach.com. So any new info or um, any articles that I write down will be on all of those. Fantastic. I'll um, I'll put a link into the show notes for that as well, for anyone wanting to follow um, all those links as well. Brilliant. Um, thank you ever so much, Joe, for coming on and answering these questions for us. I found it very insightful and very educational already. And um, I'm going to be going back and doing some more of the jump grids, I think, of my own young dogs to help prepare them for when they start competing this year. So um, thank you ever so much. I think it's going to be a really good podcast for people to listen to pre-season or anyone with their young dogs, as we say. Thank Thanks you. so much. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your evening, Joe. I will. Bye. See you soon. Bye.